Let's just pray before we start. <clears throat> Father, thank you for bringing us together as a church. And thank you, Lord, for your word that teaches us how to be a church, what we ought to do, what we ought not to do. Lord, thank you that all the information that we need has been given to us. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will really teach us the truth tonight. Lord, we pray that he'll anoint us. Lord, we pray that the truth will get into us. Lord, it'll change us. Lord, it won't just be head knowledge. It won't just be facts. Lord, we're looking to you for a revelation of your power in this church. And Jesus, we want to get it absolutely right. And that's why we're studying your word the way we do. Amen. So, Lord, we just ask that you'll really speak to us now and that you'll really bless us. Lord, we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> right, okay, we, we come tonight to the tenth talk in this series that we're doing on church life. And uh, we come to a talk tonight which is really right at the heart of the whole thing. It's this talk that really is, is like the heartbeat of the whole series that we're doing. And that what we've got to move on to tonight is looking at commitment and membership. And that's what we're going to be doing tonight. Commitment and membership. What does the Bible say about that? And I'm taking them together, commitment and membership, because they go together, all right? They're two sides of the same coin. But I'm going to deal with membership first, what it means to be the member of a church, because it's membership that provides the basis for our understanding of what commitment is. So, first of all, we'll ask, what does the Bible teach about being a member of the church? Now, let's start with the actual word. It occurs in the Bible, member, and the Greek word for member is melos. And what I want to show you is that it is always and only ever used in the Bible of the limb of a body, in the way that my arm or my leg is a member of my body. If you were to cut my leg off, you would dismember me, all right? And if you were to cut my head off, that would be how I get rid of 15 pounds of ugly fat very, very quickly. Right, okay, let's just actually see it. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. Let's actually see Paul speaking about this and using this word. 1 Corinthians 12, and find verse 12. And he says, For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptised into the one body. Jews or Greeks, slave and free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And he says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, can you see that when he starts talking about being a member of the body of Christ, or a member of the church, he starts talking about hands and feet. It's the membership of a limb of a body. Go down into verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And when Paul starts talking about membership, it's always in the context of his teaching about being the body of Christ and members being that of an arm and leg to a body. 
Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll just see this one more time. Just to establish that when this word member is used in the Bible, that's what it means. And in a slightly different context here, Paul is writing against temple prostitution. The Corinthians who have been converted, who weren't Jews, were used to a kind of a religion that involved having sex in their temple. And they were still going down to the temple and having sex with the uh, temple prostitutes there. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15, listen to what he says. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And of course, the Bible says that in the sexual act you become one flesh. There we have it again. Paul uses the word member always in the sense of being part of a body like an arm or a leg. Now, what that tells us is this. In the New Testament concerning the church, there is no concept whatsoever of having church membership in the sense of joining a church by signing the form. The Bible contains no concept of that whatsoever. That kind of membership is like membership of a tennis club. You go along and you join and you get your name on the roll, all right? But can you see that the Bible says nothing about that whatsoever? And you can read the Bible or the New Testament from cover to cover and the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles and you will find no hint whatsoever that the early church had membership roles. They didn't. They didn't have registers of members. There was no sense of signing on the dotted line. Some churches have commitment forms that you sign in and you agree to be committed to the church. Please notice that the New Testament church had nothing whatsoever to do with anything like that at all. And it's because you don't join a church in that sense at all. Can you see, you can join a tennis club and you're a member of the tennis club. But being part of a church is a totally different thing. In being a member of a church, we're talking about the membership of being part of the body of Christ. The same as my arm or my hand is a member of my body. All right. And that what we've got is this, and it's important to understand this. First of all, the Bible teaches that you are someone becomes a member of the body of Christ automatically by virtue of being a believer. As soon as somebody becomes a Christian, as soon as somebody gives themselves to Jesus and is born again, then they become a member of the body of Christ universal, whether they like it or not. Go to 1 Corinthians 12 again. 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll read again the same verses that we read early. He says... For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He says, for by one spirit we were baptized into one body. We've seen this before in various studies that we've done. One of the many things that happens to you when you're born again is that the Holy Spirit baptizes you or immerses you into the body of Christ, and you become part of Jesus' body on earth. And that is automatic. 
every believer is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Universal. And yet we've seen as well that the teaching of the Bible about the church is far more than just being part of the universal church. It always boils down to being part of a local body. Can you see you have the church universal everywhere throughout time? But the Bible teaches that each person also needs to be part of a localized body of Christ, uh, located in one particular area. And you see... Here's the thing. It's important to realize that it's because you are a believer and already a member of the body of Christ, universal, it is for that reason that you have the right to become part of a particular and localized body. Can you see that? The basis of being part of an individual church is that you are already part of the body of Christ worldwide. And it's important to realize that. Can you see that being a member of a church is, is not the idea that's put across by membership forms and the way they have a special service and we're welcoming so-and-so into membership of our church? That is so far away from what the Bible teaches. It is a totally different mentality. And you see, the thing is this. What it boils down to is that church membership is not a matter of signing on the dotted line. Church membership is a matter of divine placement into a particular church by the Holy Spirit himself. It's not a matter of external organisation. It's a matter of inspiration by the Holy Spirit. So that membership, to be part of a church cannot be because you have signed something and that you have said, I now join your church and I'm proving this by going through whatever your particular unbiblical rigmarole is. <laughs> Being part of a church is a question of the fact that the Holy Spirit has placed you at that time in that particular church. It is not a question of external organisation. With external organisation come membership forms, membership roles, commitment forms. That's all to do with external organisation. The church is not an organisation. It's an organism. It's alive. It's the body of Christ. And church membership is a matter, rather, of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's something God does. It's not something that can be arranged. Now, I belong to this church, the Chigwell Christian Fellowship, not because I've enrolled in it or anything like that. We don't have anything like that there. We don't have membership as usually practiced. We don't have you know, forms to sign or anything like that. I am part of this fellowship, not because I've enrolled, but because God himself has placed me in it. That is why I am part of this church. And therefore, I am, spiritually speaking, an organic part of this body. This is tremendous. What it means is that I am spiritually incomplete without this church, because it's where God has placed me. I am incomplete spiritually without this church. And here's the point. This church is spiritually incomplete without me. And that is the same for all of us 
who have been placed into this church. We need each other. You, if God has placed you in this church, if it's God's will that you're part of this church and you know it and you're committed to this church, then the truth is we can't do without you and you can't do without us. And that remains the, the case for the duration of your spiritual placement amongst us. All right. Now, that is important to realize. That's a qualification. You are incomplete without us, and we are incomplete without you for the duration of your placement amongst us. We're not saying for life, because the time may come when God will move you on somewhere else. No problem. But for as long as you belong here, then you're incomplete if you're not here, and we're incomplete if you're not here. All right. And let me say as well that in this particular church, if any of you believe it is right to leave, I mean, whether it's because you've had a massive bust up with us and, and you can't stand the sight of us, or whether it's because you in all conscience believe that we're too wrong about things, or whether it's just that you believe God wants you to be somewhere else, no matter what your reason for leaving, you will be free to leave with our blessing. That's tremendously important. There are some churches where they maintain that once you're in it, it's got to be that church for life. And the only way you could ever leave that and go to another church, say if you moved, is if the elders okay you moving and then put you in touch with another church with elders they approve of, which usually means agree with them on everything, you see. That won't be the case here. If people want to leave, they're going to be absolutely free to leave with our blessing. Because again... If a church ends up fighting to keep people part of it rather than going somewhere else, you're immediately back into the same old trap of external organisation. You're saying that membership is to do with what people say, and it isn't. Membership is to do with divine placement into a body of believers locally. Now, before we move off of that, you will find quite a few churches that practice membership and things like that. And what you'll do is you'll find that they have a special service. And if someone becomes a member of their church, there's a special little service and they receive the right hand of fellowship. Have you heard of that? You can go up and you can get the right hand of fellowship. And this means, they say, that you're part of the church. And more than that, they'll argue, but that's what they did in the Bible. See, church membership is biblical. The right hand of the fellowship is in the Bible. Let's actually go to it and see it. Go to Galatians 2, because I just want to show you that this right hand of fellowship business has got absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with becoming part of a church. And in Galatians 2, verse 9, Paul is talking about his contact with the other apostles. All right? And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, we read this. He said, And when they perceived that grace was given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Now, there you have it. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that Paul joining the Jerusalem church? Let's read on. They gave us the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This right hand of fellowship that Paul received from the apostles in Jerusalem 
It wasn't joining a church. It was nothing to do with that. It was recognition of brotherhood and ministry. I mean, even today, we have shaking hands, don't we? And you only shake hands with your left hand if you've been a scout. You see? <laughs> Everyone else shakes hands with their right hand. And that's simply what it was. It, it was their way of saying, Paul, we accept you as a brother, <laughs> and we accept that God has called you to a ministry to the Gentiles. And just as final proof that this wasn't them joining the church, they got the right hand of fellowship from the Jerusalem church, who then kicked them off to the Gentiles. They said, right, now clear off from Jerusalem because your ministry is to the Gentiles. Can you see this right hand of fellowship, Lark? It's got nothing to do with membership whatsoever, actually joining a church. It was simply the, the way that they acknowledged each other's uh, brotherhood and ministry. So there we have membership. Make sure you've got that in your head and in your heart. Membership of the church is not a question of joining a church by signing something. It's not a question of getting your name on a roll. It's not a question of signing a commitment form. Churches that practice that don't understand what the Bible is teaching. Can you imagine me presenting my left ear with a membership form? and saying, would you now like to be part of me? If you would, please sign this form, and I want to guarantee that you're going to submit to me by enabling me to hear everything that's going on on my left. Can you see? It's to totally misunderstand what the Bible is teaching. Membership is simply the fact that the Holy Spirit has placed you into a local body of believers. You belong to them. They belong to you. You need them. They need you. You can't get by without them. They can't get by without you. And that remains the case for as long as God has placed those people to be together. All right. And that our membership of a local church is on the basis that when we became Christians, we automatically became members of the body of Christ. When you were born again, you literally and automatically became part of Jesus' body on earth. And because you're part of his body universal already, you can therefore freely take your place into a little local example of that body. All right. So that is what membership is. Right. So having got that, now we move on to commitment. Being committed to a local church. Now, for many Christians, talking about commitment to local churches... The whole area of commitment is a bit of a dirty word. And I understand that because it's been very much abused by many, many churches. However, commitment isn't a dirty word to me because it's a whole biblical concept. And the fact that some people have abused it doesn't mean that we need to clear away, keep away from it. We need to make sure we get it right. So commitment. And remember that what we're going to be dealing with tonight isn't commitment to the Lord as such. We're talking about our commitment to this church, or those of us who are part of it. We have people here tonight from other churches, which is great. But obviously, I'm talking about our commitment to this church amongst those of us who know that God wants us to actually be part of it. And in actual fact, commitment to this church and commitment to the Lord are pretty much synonymous. We've seen this before, haven't we? The reality of our relationship with Jesus is expressed by the reality of our relationship 
with the brothers and sisters God has placed us with. Remember, we gauge our commitment to the Lord by looking at our commitment to each other. So in some ways, our commitment to this church is really going to be the litmus test of our actual commitment to the Lord himself. Now, in dealing with commitment, I want to ask two questions that we're going to answer. And the first one is this, and this is addressed to all those who are here and believe that God has called them to be part of this church. The question is this, if God has placed you amongst us, one, should you be totally committed to this church, really, deeply, and meaningfully? Should our commitment to this church be deep and real? The answer is yes, as we're going to see. But question number two, if God has placed you amongst us, are you going to be pressured and hassled if your commitment to us is not deep? And the answer to that question is no. And as we proceed, you'll understand the reason why. It's not a contradiction. Should you be committed? Yes. Are you going to be pressured and hassled if you're not? No. And that's not a contradiction, and we can proceed to see why. Let's actually ask ourselves again, what is commitment then? We're talking tonight about being committed to a local church. What exactly is commitment? Go to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. And again, you're going to see the tie-up between commitment and membership again. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. Paul says this. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now here, Paul isn't talking about our responsibility to Jesus as being members of his body. Here, he's talking about being members one of, an, one of another. Here, he's talking about our commitment to our brothers and sisters locally in the local church. And again, we see that this Commitment is the commitment of a limb to the body of which it is a part. That is the nature of commitment. The commitment of a limb to the body. Now then, what is the commitment of my hand to my body? Or what is the commitment of your leg to your body? Because when we answer that question, we will understand exactly what commitment to a church is. And it is this. Commitment to your church is total availability to do whatever is required of you as a limb in order that the body is enabled to do what it should do. That is what membership is. The total, your availability as a limb to the body to do what is ever necessary to enable the body to do what the body should do. Now, what should a body do? A body should do whatever its head is telling it to do. Who is the head of the church? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So the point is this. The head decides and the body obeys. All right? Now, that's how you live day to day. You would be in trouble if that wasn't true of you. If your head was deciding one thing, but your body decided to do another, I mean, you really would have problems. 
if you decided one morning that you'll go to work by train, but your body said, no, I'm going to take the bus, I mean, that, that would be bad news, wouldn't it? So the point is, the head decides and the body obeys. Now, the obedience of the body to the head means simply this. It means that its members, i.e. its limbs and organs, hands, feet, kidney, liver, you name it, it means that its members, the constituent parts that make it up to be a body, all right, are there and they act together to accomplish whatever the head is telling them to do. So if my head tells my body to walk round to the local shop, my body cooperates. All the individual parts of my body get together and they work together to enable my body to do what I've told it to. Now that is the role that you and I have as part of this church. Individual members are there for the good of the corporate body to enable it to do what the head wants. So therefore, Jesus is the head of this church. We are his body. You and I are the members of this body of Christ in Chigwell. All right. Therefore, what Jesus says goes. Our role is to make ourselves totally available individually to each other so that we can act together to enable each other to do what it is that Jesus as the head is telling us to do. And what it boils down to is this, and I said this a few minutes ago. Therefore, commitment to Jesus as the head of the body equals commitment to the church, which is the body. Do you see that equation? Commitment to Jesus as the head equals commitment to the church, which is the body. My hand cannot say, well, I'm going to do what the head tells me to, but I don't want anything to do with his leg. <laughs> Can you see? The two are synonymous. My hand is as committed to my head precisely as it is committed to the rest of my body. That's important for us to understand. A hand that claims to be in obedience to the head, but remains independent of the rest of the body, is a, and just does its own thing, is a hand that is not in obedience to the head. I mean, imagine my hand saying, I obey the body, all right? And in reality, it's doing its own thing, you know, it's kind of, you know, and it's, you know, and, regard, and it's saying, I do what the head says, and yet it's totally ignoring the rest of my body, and it's working on its own. Can you see that isn't possible at all? So then, for someone to say that they're in allegiance to God without being in allegiance to whatever church God has placed them in, and remember, we've seen as well that not all that glitters is gold, and not everything that calls itself is a church. Remember, we've seen that, or not a church worth being part of. But the point is that to say that you're in allegiance to the Lord and yet not be in allegiance to where he has placed you in his body is a direct contradiction. It is waffle. Now, I know that there are many, many Christians today who aren't settled in a church for the simple reason that they haven't found a church worth settling in. Now, that, that is just the way it is today. And people in that position, there's nothing they can do about it. They've just got to keep praying. 
that God will give them a church that's biblical, and if necessary, start one themselves. All right. Now, people in that situation, no problem. But there are other Christians, all right, who even when there is a biblical church around to go to, they'll have a little paddle and then they're off. They're never anywhere for 10 minutes, you see? And that is because they want to be independent. They want to serve the Lord, but they don't want the hassle of accountability and responsibility to other Christians. Now, that is a hand that can say it's in submission to the head all it likes, but in reality, it's not. It's in rebellion. And to talk about, well, I mean, I'm, I'm just following the Lord. I mean, you know, sort of like church, nah, nah, I just get on with following the Lord. That is absolute waffle, and it's sheer hypocrisy. However, let me qualify that. I'm not there talking about believers who long to be part of a biblical church, but can't find one to be part of. That is slightly different. Okay. Right, so then, what have we seen so far? If God has placed you in this church, because after all, we're talking about ourselves. I'm not trying to make out the Chigwell Christian Fellowship to be unique somehow. It's just that we're the CCF, and, and it's the CCF we're going to be talking about tonight. So if God has placed you in this church, then your commitment to Jesus is as deep as your commitment to this church. I'm going to say that again. If God has placed you in this church, your commitment to him is as deep as your commitment to us as a church. Now, having said that, I'm going to bring in now a very important qualification that we need to understand, and it's this. We need to understand that there are always priorities of genuine commitment. All right, and I'm going to give you various examples. You see, our commitment to the Lord is absolute. But there is no other commitment that can be. I mean, we all have different commitments, don't we? Our commitment to the Lord is absolute, but no other commitment can be absolute. Now, let me give you an example. We're all perfectly aware of the, the uh, extent of the commitment of a husband and a wife in marriage. None of us would question that. You know, the extent of that commitment. And yet, just picture that you had two people who were married, two Christians, all right? or maybe a believer and an unbeliever. Now, let's suppose that one of them got to the point where they said to their partner, I will remain with you on the condition that you deny the Lord. Now, can you see that in that one unique situation, the Christian partner in that marriage who has been told that, that the condition for them staying together is that they deny the Lord, can you see that their commitment to the Lord will have to override their commitment to their spouse? Now, can you see? What I'm bringing out here is that the only commitment that is absolute is to Jesus himself. Even the commitment of marriage is not absolute. There can be certain extremely rare situations 
where your commitment to the Lord might actually need to overrule your commitment to the marriage. But I emphasize it would only be in a situation where you were being told by your partner that you can only stay with them if you're willing to deny the Lord. So the point is this. A marriage has an incredibly deep commitment that's needed in it, and that's right before God. But only Jesus can have our absolute commitment. Now, I've used that to illustrate the point that there are different degrees of genuine commitment. But I'll give you another example. It's clear to us, and we understand and we agree with the fact that Jesus wants to have our absolute and unquestioning commitment. That is obvious to any Christian. I.e., once you understand what Jesus' will is, you obey it absolutely and you obey it unquestioningly. All right. But no believer must ever have that kind of commitment to a church. Never. Be it this church or be it any other church. And I'll tell you the reason why. You see, it is absolutely safe to be in absolute and unquestioning commitment to Jesus because he's never wrong. He's God. Therefore, an absolutely 100% total unquestioning obedience to Jesus is absolutely right. But it's safe because Jesus is never wrong. But you see, no church can ever be in a position to claim that it is never wrong. Now, do you see the point? In fact, unquestioning commitment, total unquestioning commitment to a church, is not only biblically wrong, it's actually stupid, and it is actually dangerous. You see, if you have a church comprised of believers who aren't testing everything that their church is doing by the scripture, or who are too gutless to express any fears that they have to the leaders, a church comprised of that sort of people is is absolutely guaranteed to go wrong. Can you see? If you have unquestioning commitment to your church, then that means you will do whatever your church tells you to do. Now, the problem arises, that would be fine if you're part of a perfect church, but you're not, and you never will be. Therefore, that type of commitment can only be reserved for the Lord. So you must always test and question everything that is going on in your church. Now, I'm not talking about kind of revolution or mutiny or anything like that. <laughs> but in this church, if, if you ever think that we are in danger of some error or something like that, if you ever think you're, you're starting to get a bit worried and you think, my goodness, that doesn't seem to be scriptural. This doesn't seem to tie up with the Bible. If you ever get in that situation then part of your commitment to us is to lovingly voice it. Can you see? 
There's no question of, well, it's my church, I've just got to go along with it. My commitment to the church means I've just got to accept the way it is. If you really ever believe that there is something amiss biblically in this church, then it is part of your commitment to us to actually voice it lovingly so that we can take a double take and check it over again. Can you see? Because sometimes you can be gaily going ahead on something, absolutely convinced it's right, so you go ahead, and then someone says, oh, but have you looked at that, you know, look at this first, or think of it from this angle, and you think, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that, yeah, that was a mistake, thanks for telling me. That's what we need. But if people aren't willing to do that, then we know that, you know, I mean, there's just not that safety amongst us that there needs to be. I mean, I'm not saying that if you identify something wrong. I mean, saying the leadership, I mean, Robert and I aren't perfect, we're going to get things wrong. I mean, if you realise we got something wrong, I mean, don't go as, oh, what a, what a stupid, stupid eldership. Oh, what a load of burks. Couldn't even go. I mean, don't take that attitude. But if you think we're wrong, come and tell us. That's absolutely no problem. And we'll go over it again from the Bible, because all we want is to do what the Bible says. So the conclusion that we're coming to is this. We're talking about our commitment to this church. And we're seeing that our commitment to this church is synonymous with our commitment to Jesus, if indeed he has placed it in us. But the qualification is this. Our commitment to this church must be deep and it must be meaningful, but it must never ever be absolute or unquestioning. Can you see? That kind of commitment is reserved for the Lord alone. And here, in this church, if Robert and I as elders ever require you, or in the future will have other elders, if any leader in this church ever requires you to act against the teaching of the Bible, do not do what we say. I'll say that again. If we ever require you to be going against the teaching of the Bible, do not do as we say. And if we're not willing to be corrected by the Bible, then the days of this church are numbered. If the leadership is not willing to be corrected from the Bible, the days of this church are numbered. And what I suggest that you do, if that ever happens, is get together and either pray the leadership out or get out and start a new church. It's tremendously important that you understand that. Because after all, if the leadership isn't in submission to the Bible, then no church can ever stand a chance, all right? Now then, me having said that, doesn't that make you feel safe? It, you know, isn't that great? That here we are saying, look, if we ever go wrong, get out. You correct us, you come and tell us. I mean, don't massacre us. Come and tell us. Be gentle, big fella, all right? But then if we don't listen, if we're not responding to what the Bible says, then clear off. You're free of us. Now, that is safe. You know, don't ever let yourself be manipulated by leaders, no matter who they are, to do something that isn't biblical. Stand against them and do not do what they say. Now, let me ask you, how many leaders of churches would tell the people who come to their churches at a Bible study to ignore them if they ever teach anything unscriptural? How, how, how many leaders of churches would do that? Not very many, and I'll tell you why, because they know full well that if the people did it, they'd empty their church overnight and be out of a job. 
I mean, can you imagine the average, you know, leader of a church saying, right, okay, if there's anything we're doing or I'm teaching that isn't what the Bible says, I want you to ignore it. Come and correct me, and if I don't listen, then leave. I mean, you know, I'll tell you, there'd be dozens of churches all up the land with, you know, on Sunday morning, there'd just be a, you know, sort of someone up there with a dog collar all on his tod preaching a sermon because everyone else would be gone. It's vitally important that we understand that our commitment to this church must never be absolute. It's important that you understand that. Now, there's one other limit to our commitment to this church that I want to mention, and it's this. Your first commitment in the Lord is to your family, not to the church. This is the other qualification that is tremendously important. Whether we're talking about minors living with their parents or husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to their children, it's very important for us to understand that the Bible teaches that our families come first. Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. And find verse 22. Ephesians 5. Verse 22. And this is what Paul says. He says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is its himself its saviour. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Nowhere in the Bible will you find language that strong urging Christians to commitment to their churches. Nowhere. But that is used for commitment to the Lord and commitment to family. Do you see that? Husbands, your wife comes before your church. Wives, your husband comes before your church. And that includes people with unbelievers as partners. Treme the number of people who've got converted, either husband and or wife has got converted, and they've ended up practically dropping their spouse, and, and they're off to all the church meetings and all the conferences. I mean, that is no way to win an unbelieving spouse to the Lord at all. That is crazy. Now, can you see how important this is? And it's the same with children. For parents... Your children are more important than your church. Go to 1 Timothy, and just a little verse. Slightly out of context, but it shows us how strong the Bible is on this. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. And Paul says... If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his own family, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And here, Paul is talking about Christians. This is one of the strongest things he says about believers anywhere in the Bible. He doesn't say that they're not believers anymore. But he says, if Christians are not providing, if they're not doing their bit in their family properly, then he says, you're worse than unbelievers. Now, can you see how important that is? Go to 1 Corinthians 7. This is the very reason for Paul's teaching uh, about being single. This is why Paul sort of fights the corner for people who have been called to be single. 
And in 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll start with verse 32. Now listen to what he says about this. He says, The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman or girl is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please her husband. Now, what Paul is saying here, he's not saying there's anything wrong in getting married, not in the slightest. But he says, if you can do without being married, and some people are called to that, it's a spiritual gift. Don't try it if you ain't got it. But if you have got, <laughs> if you have got the spiritual gift of celibacy, and it is a spiritual gift, if you've got it, that's fantastic. And Paul says, because you've got undivided interests, you really can be serving the Lord. You really can be wholeheartedly thrown in right at the centre of everything that your church is doing. But what Paul is saying, married people can't because they have to please their husband or their wife. How can you see? So therefore, we're seeing quite clearly here that in the Bible, preeminence is given to your family. All right. Now, we've seen at the beginning of this course that the truth about a local church is that it is an extended family of God. We are the extended family of God in Chigwell. But notice, we are an extended family of God we are not a substitute family, you see. And there are some Christians who make the mistake that maybe things aren't too good in their marriage or maybe things aren't too good with their parents or maybe things aren't too good with their young children. And what they do is they dive in busy, 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 all the meetings under the sun. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to escape from facing up to the fact that things aren't right in their family. And they're kind of covering that by going to meeting after meeting after meeting, thinking that if you can be mega committed to your church, that that kind of covers the fact that you're not mega committed to your family, and it doesn't matter. It does matter. It's a hypocrisy. And you see, the thing is that the church, as an extended family, we will only be as loving and as strong and as mature and as stable as the individual families which go to make us up. Can you see that? It's no use thinking, things aren't good in my family, so I'll, I'll, but I've got the family of the church. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Make your family strong. I mean, you'll need the support of the church to do that, but can you see that it's vitally important that you don't try and use the church as a substitute family? We are not. And I'll tell you, a church with a lot of people who are using it as a substitute family because things in their family aren't right, that church will not be strong. That church will soon topple. Remember, we are only going to be as strong as the family of God in Chigwell as we are as individual families who make it up. So there is the second qualification. In the Lord, commitment to your church comes second. Not first, all right? Commitment to your family comes first, all right? But having said that, I mean, we're sinners. We always have a propensity for turning things upside down and twisting it. 
Don't let anyone think that I am now giving a good excuse for being slack in commitment to your church, using your family as an excuse. There are people who do this. There are people who do this. Now, I'm not sanctioning that in the least. It's absolutely clear that your family comes first. But don't start using that as an excuse for not being committed to the church. And it's very, very easy for saying, oh, well, of course, you know, I mean, I can't come along tonight. I need to spend the evening with my children. So you have 10 minutes with your children, kick them to bed, and on goes the telly. Kick them up to bed, and on goes the telly. That is not putting your family first. That is just using it as an excuse. So make sure that that is clear in your heads. Right, so with those qualifications out of the way, with all that said, what exactly should our commitment to this church be? What does it all boil down to? What are the nuts and bolts, the nitty-gritties of it, all right? Well, let's, let's, let's go into this, and this is real, real mega-practical stuff. Number one, commitment to this church involves a commitment to be at the fellowship meetings. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I've lost Hebrews. No, I haven't. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Now look what the writer says. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, now look how he says you do that. He says, Be unwavering. Be strong in the faith. And look how he says you do that. He says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So here we see that in the Bible, commitment to a church, there's a basic commitment, a basic requirement to be at the gatherings when the fellowship comes together. Now, let me say from the start, there are obviously times when you can't be here. I mean, we're not going to be silly about this. We're not going to be stupid. We do not intend this to be one of the churches where if you miss a meeting, you get four... Well, the number of phone calls you get the next day depends on how many elders you've got. If there are four elders, you get four phone calls. If there are six, you get six phone calls. Can you see? We're not talking about that place as if you miss a meeting as a phone call. You know, why weren't you there? If we haven't seen you for a while, yeah, of course we'll phone you up to make sure you're okay. I mean, obviously, we're not saying that everyone can get to all, all the meetings all the time. We're not saying that. But generally speaking, it's important that we are at our corporate gatherings as a fellowship. Now, I know for sort of married people with children that children are a problem here. But nevertheless, it's usually practical, usually, for either the husband and or the wife to be there, isn't there? Because after all, if the husband is there, he can go home and tell the wife all about it, and the wife isn't left out. Or if the wife comes, she can go back and tell her husband all about it. Can you see? So there does need to be representation whenever possible. Now, the basic setup in this fellowship at the moment is this. On the Sundays, we have our worship and we have have our love feast. That's important. On the Tuesdays, we have our teaching. And now, on the Fridays, we have our prayer evening. All right. So they'll only ever, apart from vast exceptions, you know, incredible exceptions, we haven't had one yet, by and large, we will never have more than three regular meetings a week. Because if you do that, it starts to get silly. You know, I mean, for a start, you haven't got time to witness to anyone, have you? Because you're spending all your time with Christians. 
some air gets a bit daft, then you've got no time for your family whatsoever, and that gets stupid. So we're not going to be daft about this. But what we do need to understand is this, that with our Sundays, worship and love feast, with the Tuesdays, the teaching, and with the Fridays, prayer, what we do need to understand is that they are all equally important. Just go to Acts chapter 2 and we'll see this. Remember, our model is the early church. There is no other model. Our model is what the Bible says. Acts chapter 2, and in verse 42, this is what we read. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done, blah, blah, blah. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Uh, I think, oh, that's right, yeah, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together, because initially the temple, they carried on worshipping in the temple because they soon got kicked out of there, so then they had to move into homes. And it says, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they partook with food, food with glad and generous hearts. I'm sure I've got the wrong verse there. 42. 42, sorry, yes. I started verse 43. Ah, right, yeah, verse 42. And they devoted... I was bluffing my way through there. <laughs> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. The breaking of bread there being their love feast. So you see that they were committed to the worship and the love feast. They were committed to the apostles' doctrine, to the teaching, and they were committed to the prayer, the prayer evenings. And so it needs to be with us. But then again, immediately, we accept that for many people, they just can't make three evenings a week, and we accept that. So one of the things that one or two people are doing, and I certainly suggest that uh, you think about this, is that, that because the Tuesdays, the teaching here is on tape, and, and the teaching is important. We've got to have the teaching as a church. We've got to learn together as a church. I've said before that if we don't know what the orders are, we can't march in step. So it's tremendously important that everyone in the church is getting the teaching. But because the Tuesdays are tight, now that the prayer evening has started, if three evenings a week is just too much, well, you can always get along to the prayer evening and get the tape of the Tuesdays. Can you see? So I say, we're not being silly about this. But, I mean, for those who can be at everything, that's brilliant. Please, please be here. But for those of you who can't, if you can't make three, then go to two, miss the Tuesdays, and get the teaching on the tape. Can you see? So we're trying to be sensible. But it is important that we are all partaking fully in that comprehensive thing that the church is actually doing. Very, very important. Otherwise, you're just not really going to be part of it. So there is the first commitment to actually be at whatever it is that the fellowship is doing. That's the first. And after all, that is the basic commitment, isn't it? If you think of it, it goes without saying. If you're never there, how can you say you're part of a church if you're never there? Oh, it's just getting silly, isn't it? Right, commitment number two. We have a commitment to get to know each other outside of the meetings. Obviously. I've said it again and again and again. In regards to tonight, tonight isn't fellowship. Tonight is sitting there looking at the back of someone's head listening to me. That's not fellowship. You don't have fellowship. I mean, the Sundays are brilliant with our love feast. We have fellowship there. But kind of the Friday prayer evenings and the Tuesdays, that's not where you have deep, meaningful fellowship. So we've got to have a commitment to be getting to know each other outside. Now go to Acts 2 and verse 46. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts. And that's not talking about the love feast. That's the fact that breaking bread is just a Jewish way of saying having a meal. And here we see that they were in and out of each other's homes having meals together, you know, day by day through the week, getting to really know each other. And that's a commitment as well. I mean, it's no use saying that you're part of a church and you only ever see people when you're actually going to the meetings. You, you can't get to know people just by going to meetings. That's silly. But the point is that you can get stuck in as much as you can, to whatever extent. There are going to be certain people that are more your type of people, that they're the ones that you really get to know will do it. Get stuck in there. You know, we've got to really get to know each other, in and out of each other's homes, eating together. Because it's only there that we really get to know each other and that we find ways to serve each other. That is how we discover each other's needs. That's how we discover how I can help you. If I don't know you, how do I know if I can help you? Can you see? Tremendously important. And then, as that is developing more and more amongst us as a church, then people's needs are going to be met faster and better, whether they be spiritual needs, in inverted commas, or whether they be practical needs or whatever. So there's the second commitment, to actually get to know each other outside of the meetings. Our lives need to be wrapped up with each other, all mixed up with each other. That is what fellowship is all about. And then thirdly, and I'm not afraid to mention this because the Bible isn't, the third thing is that it involves us in a financial commitment. Now, there are two mistakes that churches make when it comes to sort of mentioning money. The first one is the churches who never stop. They're always screwing you for the next penny. That is the first error. It's money, 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 money. That is wrong. That goes against what the Bible says. That is wrong. But the other error is to be frightened to mention it. The Bible does mention it. Not a lot, but it does. Because it's important. So therefore, to be part of this church is going to involve a financial commitment. Now obviously, let me re-emphasize again, and if any of you haven't heard the tapes about is tithing scriptural, please get the tapes. They're tremendously important. Now, with financial giving, we've seen quite clearly from the Bible that it is strictly free will offering. Tithing is wrong. Anything in a church that is making it compulsory to give is wrong. That goes against what the Bible says. Anything that is putting pressure on people to give is wrong, because that goes against what the Bible says. And we've seen quite clearly in the past that when it comes to giving money, the, the Bible teaches quite simply this. You don't have to give, but you ought to give. All right? You don't have to give, but you ought to give. And we saw quite clearly that if you're giving money through gritted teeth, keep it. Keep it. Giving is done out of a glad and generous heart. So there does need to be a financial commitment to this fellowship. So then, we've come to this. We ought to be in real and deep, meaningful commitment to this church. And we've gone over basically what that means. But question number two was, are you going to be pressured and hassled if your commitment is less than full? And the answer to that is no. Now, again, this is vastly different from the way most churches kind of do it, isn't it? That if you're not being committed, 
if you're not there at all the meetings or if you're not giving or whatever, the pressure is put on you. Now, that is not going to happen here, and it's for this reason. And it's tied up with the nature of our commitment. Because remember, we've seen our commitment isn't to an organisation. It's the organic commitment of the part of the body, isn't it? And you see, the point is that, like financial giving, our commitment to this church and any church is strictly free will offering. The rule here is this. If you don't want to come, don't come. If there's a film on telly that grabs your fancy more than being with your family, stay home and watch it. Kizzy. What is the point of having people along at the fellowship on a particular occasion? There, because they've been pressured in. Can you see how stupid it is for leaders to pressure people now? All the techniques to, you know, get them along to the meetings, even if it's laying guilt trips on them. It's absolutely ridiculous. We want people to be here because they love to be here. We want people to be here because they love us and because they're part of us. Can you see? We want a commitment from the heart. And a commitment from the heart is free will. It can only be free will. And any commitment born of leadership pressure or peer group pressure, that is not commitment from the heart. It's commitment having given into pressure. We don't want that. That is not the nature of commitment in the body of Christ. I mean, we've been called here the fellowship where you don't have to come back next week. And there's a sense if you don't want to come back next week, don't come back next week. But you see, on the other hand, there are some of us here that wild horses wouldn't keep us away. Now, can you see the difference? This is the nature of true biblical commitment. And you see, the thing is that those of us here who are part of this church, we know who else is truly committed to this church. We know. We don't, seem to, we don't need to see names on a register. We don't need to go through the church roll and find the commitment form that you sign just to remind ourselves that you've committed yourself to this church. We know if you're committed to this church. Can you see? You can't miss it because it's organic. It's, it's life. And those of us who are in commitment to this church know who else is. And the truth is that if there are people who say that they're part of this church, if they want to just hover on the fringe... If they want to be slack and treat us like a hotel rather than a family, I mean, you know what it is, those of you who have had older children, they get to the point where you're not family, you're a hotel, aren't you? And they come in at all hours and stuff like that. Well, if you're part of this church, but you want to be slack and hang on the outside and kind of treat it like a hotel rather than a family, fine. If that's what you want to do, you won't be treated second class. You won't be told off. You won't be taken aside and rebuked by the elders or anything like that. That won't happen. I mean, we kind of, we might, in, in, you know, we might try and encourage you to come in a bit more, but that is, we aren't going to get heavy about it. Do you see the difference? I mean, it's like if you're hovering on the fringe and you tell us one day you're depressed and you've got loads of problems, then we might say, well, if you got a bit more stuck in, that'd be a bit better, wouldn't it? But can you see, we're not going to pressure people. We're not going to get heavy with people. We're not going to sort of, you know, railroad them in, into getting more and more committed to the fellowship because it just doesn't work in any way at all. 
If you want to hover, as long as you're not proving a hindrance to those who are really committed, then you are welcome to hover as long as you like. And you see, the thing is that we'd rather entice you in. If you're just paddling in us, that's okay. But we want to entice you in. We want to show you that the water's lovely. We don't want to kick you in, because that might give you a fear of water. Can you see? So therefore, we're not going to be practicing this very heavy pressure. The commitment that we have for this church has got to come from the heart. It can't be enforced in any way at all. But let me say as well that if you do want to hover, and you're quite welcome to do that, but you see, if you do hover, you obviously can't expect to be as fully in on everything as those of us who are committed are. Do you see that? I mean, that is obvious, isn't it? If you hover, you can't really be in on everything, if only because you won't know what is going on. So you won't be a kind of an outsider from our point of view. You won't be treated any differently. You're part of this family. You'll be loved and cared for and protected like anyone else. But you're going to exclude yourself for the time being. And maybe if you come along to something and something's going on and you say, oh, what's going on? Oh, I didn't know about this. Or, you know, and we might say, well, I mean, if you'd come in the last month, you would have done. Don't blame us. I mean, I'm not going to get on the phone all the time to people who haven't been here for six weeks and tell them what's happening. If they want to come, they'll come. I mean, if they're in genuine trouble, that's different. <laughs> that's different, obviously. But if you want to hover, hover. But you can't expect, obviously, to be really in on things if you really do just hover. Remember, we earn the right to share each other's lives. Is he? You can't expect to, you know, to be sort of someone who says that this is your church and we see you, shall we say, once every two or three weeks and then expect us to be sharing with you as deeply as we do with the people here all the time. You can't expect that because we earn our right. If you're, you're going to let me into your life, I've got to prove that I'm there. You don't do that with a stranger, do you? We've got to prove to each other that long-term commitment. So you can only be really in on things if you really are fully committed. That is why no one can just breeze in here with a flash ministry and expect us to all knuckle under to it. You don't breeze into a church with a flash ministry and expect everyone to do obeisance to you. You earn your right through long-term serving. Not the flash stuff, but just long-term, nitty-gritty serving. All right. Okay, and there's one last thing, because we, we do have a little bit of a problem with this, and this is something that we are stepping up the pressure about, and it's this. We've got people here... Oh, no, don't worry. <laughs> no, we, we still have people who come along to us as their church, and they say that they're totally part of us, and yet they're still part of another church. That has got to stop. One church only. Now I'm not talking about those who come from other churches and visit us occasionally. We've got quite a few here tonight and that's great. I'm not talking about people from other churches who every now and then come and visit us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who say they're part of this church and that they're here all the time and yet they're part of another church as well. Now that situation cannot go on and it's a make your mind up time friends on that. Now 
no one is going to say that you've got to come to this one and leave the other one. We're not going to say that. It's up to you which church you go to. But what we are saying is you've got to make your mind up. You're absolutely free to decide which one it's going to be. But you can't keep mucking around like that. You can only be properly part of one church. And if you're playing around trying to be part of two churches, then the point is you're letting both churches down. So therefore, it's just got to be one church only. Right, so we've spoken about commitment, we've spoken about membership, so we've really only got one more question to answer. How do you become part of this church? I mean, someone turned up and says, I want to be part of the Chigwell Christian Fellowship. I want to be a member in the true sense of the word. I want to be part of this fellowship. How do I do it? Well, the answer is just come along and serve the body like the rest of us are doing. And you're a part of this church. If it's not of the Lord, you won't last, because you won't be able to take it. See? Stuck with us lot without God having put you here. You're joking. You wouldn't last. Can you see? So get stuck in. And if God has placed you here, then it'll work out. And, and I mean, we've seen this in each other's lives. I mean, what we've only been going as a church <laughs> proper for a year. But my goodness, the closeness, the interaction. I mean, last Saturday... We had a party. I mean, I was up booging to David Sanborn with Bella. <laughs> Brilliant. We were having a disco and Robert was there and Robert was dancing. We've seen this. There's no age gap in this fellowship. That's beautiful. But that can only work when the people concerned have been placed together by the Holy Spirit in a church and when they are fully committed to that church to each other. So, if you want to be a part of it, come along, just be a part of it and serve. Next time, we move on to a second talk, which is also at the heart of everything we need to understand about us being a church. And next week, we're going to move on and look at what I'm calling body life. And we're going to look at the actual dynamic behind how the church runs. Is it run by men or is it run by Jesus? And we'll be answering that question next time in Body Life.